if there is an opportunity to release more hostages, then uh, we'll give that opportunity and some other related issues. The U.S. does not tell us whether to go in or not to go in. Israel is a sovereign state and takes its own sovereign decisions. We have very close discussions with the U.S. administration about related considerations, and they raise questions and concerns, but no one tells us what to do. And as I said, we are preparing the ground operation, and uh, we are about to launch it. That is uh, Michael Herzog. He's the Israeli ambassador to the U.S., uh, saying that Israel's calling their own shots. And those stories about uh, President Biden saying, wait it out, get the hostages out, uh, plan it out, are not true. Dave Ignatius, Washington Post columnist, has his own great sources and is kind enough to join us now. David, uh, thanks so much for being here. I know this is a tumultuous time for you uh, as well. You know all the players. Is he right? Is, uh, is Israel calling their own shots? Uh, Brian, what uh, Ambassador Herzog said is obviously right. In the end, Israel reserves, as any country does, the right to make its own decisions, especially about security matters like this. It's also true that there has been intense uh, consultation between the U.S. and Israel. The the United States is the crucial uh, second line of defense for Israel. We've moved two aircraft carrier task forces. We've shot down uh, missiles that were aimed at Israel. Uh, fired from Yemen, uh, you know, we're we're close to being in this. So Israel listens carefully to what uh, the advice is fr- from the U.S. side. And there is concern in the U.S. that Israel not um, react in ways that will make its military and security problems worse better than be- uh, be- uh, instead of better. So, I mean, I, I think that it is true that the consultation is going on, but Ambassador Herzog is right. In the end, Israel decides what it wants to do, period. So we know about uh, the the grounding. There was a, a big probe last night, and they just did kill. They announced they killed one of Hamas's higher ups. Um, but I do want to bring you to this Wall Street Journal story that says Israel has agreed to U.S. request to delay an invasion of Gaza because they want to get their missile defense in order. I just talked to Ambassador Friedman, who was there during the Trump years, just left the country, was there during the attacks. And he said, I'm shocked that we don't have missile defense there already for a 2500 uh, troops in Iraq and in Syria, 900 over in Syria. Does that sound plausible to you? Do you, do you buy that story? I know it's not your story, but do you buy this scenario? So I, I, I think the U.S. Uh, has proposed a pause uh, for, for various reasons. One is to get more air defense into the, into the region. Um, we have more forces now uh, that are there that are exposed than before. And so be natural to want more air defense to protect them. There is hope that some additional hostages could be released, and I think there's a desire on all sides um, not to disrupt that process, which which obviously Israel would love to see some of those 224 hostages uh, uh, out. Um, and, and and finally, I think your listeners should, should bear in mind there's overwhelming need for air defense in Ukraine. Their biggest problem going into the winter is is the lack of sufficient uh, uh, missiles, uh, air defense systems. So a lot of what the U.S. had hoped to be able to provide to Ukraine, it's now having to think about diverting to protect U.S. forces and to provide Israel uh, for its own its own defense. 
So it's a complicated situation uh, for, for the Pentagon getting all these planning streams coordinated. Um, and, and I think for, for many reasons, the, the Israelis have decided they don't want to rush in. They don't want to rush into having a, a second front with Lebanon. They don't want to rush into Gaza before they really prepare the battle space. What you saw last night, the probe by Israeli tanks, they're going to see more of that. They, they want up, they want locate to the extent they possibly can where the Hamas uh, terrorist fighters are. They want to understand the puddle network as well as they can. They want to minimize the risks once they go in on the ground invasion. No doubt about it. And the guy they killed, uh, Hassan Abdullah, uh, they feel as though he was a high-value target. So uh, there was a there was a probe in there. They sent in some tanks. They sent in some units, and they pulled right back out. How do you feel, and it must be surreal to you who know the Middle East so well, David Ignatius, to see Hezbollah meeting openly with Hamas and Iran representatives in Beirut yesterday? Almost they bring in the cameras as if they can spray the room to get the video out there. They're not hiding their alliance. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a photo opportunity for what they call the, the resistance. Uh, in the in the Arab world, uh, to, uh, to me, really appalling fact is that the Hamas uh, terror attacks across the fence that killed 1,400 Israelis have been greeted uh, by, by a lot of uh, celebration, uh, and the, the uh, Israeli bombing of, of targets in Gaza has been uh, greeted by, by protest. So they almost want to advertise their alliance. The question, Brian, is whether it goes beyond photo opportunities to embrace the resistance, as they, as they call each other, um, to actual fighting. And the, the signs have been so far that while Hezbollah wants to make a show of support, fire some rockets across the, the border, it's not prepared for a full-scale uh, war, nor is Iran. Uh, everything I hear from U.S. and Israeli officials tells me that that's their reading. But they were wrong about Hamas. They didn't think Hamas would attack across the fence. They thought Hamas was deterred. It wasn't. So they're really scared of making the same mistake twice. So the big question is, and you write about this, what happens the next day? You go in and you rid the place of every Hamas agent you can find. And they're gone for now. Everyone knows, logically, we saw it with Al-Qaeda ISIS, they'll they'll pop back up, but at what level? So what happens the next day? Nobody wants Gaza. Jordan doesn't want it. The Israelis don't want it. Who gets Gaza? So that that's the core problem, and I think you and your listeners know that for the United States and, and our basically frustrating wars over 20 years in the Middle East, one problem is we didn't think enough about the day after. I mean, our army is this strongest in the world overwhelming. We can blow through anything. But what then? And Israel has some of the same uh, problems to, to, to think about. It does not want to reoccupy Gaza. It wants somebody to take responsibility for security there. That's not Hamas. But who is that? And there's a lot of discussion. I met with some Arab leaders in Washington last night just to talk over that issue. What force might go into Gaza 
after the military operations are concluded to stabilize things. How would that work? Would it be an international force? Would, would the U.S. take part in some way? Would the Palestinian Authority, which rules the West Bank, it is unreliable, but it isn't as bad as Hamas. Would they go in? So those are all the issues that, that, that people are discussing. They don't have answers. It's one reason I think the Israelis are being careful and not launching a, a, a full ground offensive before they know what would go in place once it was done. One thing is clear. Remember they told us about the, the caves and bin Laden and he has all these tunnels in these caves and that was overstated. I don't think that's the case with Gaza. It's these, these, these tunnels seem real. And when those hostages came out, uh, that 85 year old woman came out and talked about, it was a spider web of caves down there. Um, and she got medical attention. There is an, there's a underground world. The Israelis are going to have to fight in. Is is that true? Yes, you put it exactly right. Sometimes people in Gaza call it the metro. There's so many tunnels that it said it add them all up. It's hundreds of miles of tunnels. They've been working on them for 15 years. They're very sophisticated. They've built them carefully, and it makes this conflict extremely difficult to plan. The Israelis in the in the two plus weeks that they've been waiting have been using all kinds of exotic sensors, new technologies, things we don't know about, to to try to ascertain to the extent they can um, a map of these these tunnels. Where are people? Where are the hostages? Where are the fighters? Uh, What are the booby traps? And they've been using every bit of technology they can and go into these tunnels to some extent with robots and drones. Mm -hmm. You can fly drones in the tunnels. You can send robots down, but at some point, you've got to send human beings to clean them up, and it's a nightmare of warfare. There's a special unit of the Israeli, the IDF, the Israeli military, uh, known as Summer, which translate as, translates as weasels. These are the guys who go underground. They're incredibly tough, uh, super brave, but, but in the next couple of weeks, uh, pay attention to the news reports about, about these Israeli fighters operating underground in this tunnel network because they'll, they'll be the toughest, toughest guys uh, uh, in the Israeli military. The Washington Post, Dave Ignatius with us. David's day 19, the official number of Israelis killed on, on the 7th, 1,106, 798 civilians, 308 soldiers, and, and 15% are unidentified. means there's a lot of people there that were so mutilated, so destroyed, uh, that we can't make out their identification yet. That's why we, it's hard to get an idea of how many hostages. But I think the number's up to 224 now, even with the release of four. So we'll see where this goes. How do you feel, David, about the fact that our troops have been attacked by these Iranian-affiliated militias anywhere from 11 to 14 times since the 7th, and we have not attacked back? In that rough neighborhood, they look at that as weakness. So... What you know from the fact of those attacks, let's say it's 13 attacks on on U.S. positions, uh, roughly 24 U.S. service people injured. What you know is that these Iranian-backed militias are not deterred. They don't yet feel that they'll pay a price. And so the attacks are going to continue or increase until they they know that they'll they'll pay a price for them. So I'm I'm certain that there'll be U.S. retaliation. Again, as with Israel, you don't want to jump into things before you have a clear sense of of how right. each chain uh, in, in link in this chain is going to, is going to go. So I you know I, I think 
I, mean, I, know, I know the CENTCOM commander, General Corolla, he's smart, he's tough, uh, but so he'll, he'll take action, but I, I don't blame him for, right. for taking his time to think exactly how to do it. See, see, I don't think it applies here because they've been there. They know the neighborhood. They know who the actors are. These aren't newly created actors. The alliance might be semi nil, but you know who's financing it and pushing it. My feeling is we could have the best commanders, but if the State Department slash White House says don't do it, they can't act in their best interests or in our best interests or with all their knowledge and experience. I, I just can't tell you whether there's been a, an order from the, from the White House to, to delay plans that General Carrillo has already organized. I don't have that information. But I, I think you're right that they always have uh, good contingency plans to, to respond to attacks like these. I've been uh, with uh, CENTCOM commanders at some of these places. I was at Al-Assad Air Base when there were, there were threats of attacks. I've been in other places that have been attacked. Um, you know, the, the, our, our forces out there are vulnerable all the time. This this uh, threat includes our embassy in, in in Baghdad, which has been evacuated down to the, the most limited group of personnel necessary. Same thing with our consulate in Erbil and in, in in Iraqi Kurdistan. So we're hunkered down, knowing that our forces are. Or, or our forces and diplomats are subject to attack. We're going to have to push back. I, I think your point is exactly right. Just the question is when and how. So um, here's the president yesterday at his uh, rare press conference, cut five. It also means that when this crisis is over, there has to be a vision of what comes next. And in our view, it has to be a two-state solution. It means a concentrated effort for all the parties Israelis, Palestinians, regional partners, global leaders, to put us on a path toward peace. David, is the two-state solution even worth even bringing up? I don't. Where's the Palestinian partner and the passion for the Middle East neighbors to get involved? Nobody, nobody really wants Hamas in charge. But there's nobody emerging that would be in charge that would be palatable for the Israelis or for anybody else. So one, you know, there are a couple of questions. Uh, one is um, who's going to be uh, in charge of Israel going forward. I think there is widespread criticism of, of Prime Minister Netanyahu for the chain of events that led to these terrible attacks on October 7th. Will he continue on the long run? The supremacists don't know. It, it could be that there'll be a government that's more sympathetic to the idea of of a, of a two-state solution. The Arabs are trying to get their act together on this. I mean, the, they believe, as does the United States government, as does the U.S. government, you know, for as long as I can remember, that stability and security for Israel in the long run will be enhanced by having a Palestinian state that's demilitarized. They want to see that. So they're talking, to, the Arabs are talking to Saudi Arabia, to Jordan, to Egypt, to all the Arab, Arab countries that we deal with to see if after uh, Hamas is cleared. Can there be a hold force in Gaza and eventually a new a new force in the West Bank that's stable, that is that, that that doesn't every couple of years launch a new attack that opens a, a new door to greater stability for Israel? And if if the, if they could demonstrate that, I'm sure the Israelis, um, the many Israelis, would want to be to be part of that process. But you know, there's so many ifs in what I said, Brian. Yeah. I'm just telling you that yeah. people are working hard to figure out. Could you get to that place? Because that, that place would be better than what Israel's living in now, no question about it. All right. I mean, they have so much money that were flowing into Gaza. If they put it to the right thing, it could be uh, Martha's Vineyard. 
Uh, I don't know about Martha's Vineyard, but it could be it could be safer and more and more secure for everybody. There's no question. I mean, Palestinians should have a a better life. Palestinians in Gaza do not like Hamas. They feel oppressed by Hamas. I I just quoted in the newspaper dozens of of, of Palestinians in in Gaza who hate Hamas. But there needs to be a very coordinated effort by the U.S., Israel, moderate Arab states to help bring something different into place there. It would be great. Uh, David, if uh, if it does happen, you'll be the first to get it. David Ignatius, Washington Post. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Great to talk to you. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.